0: turn to James chapter 4. We're going to continue the study uh, of chapter 4. And if you will remember what Brian preached last week, we're going to continue that thought process through the study of James chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. I've entitled the sermon this morning, What's in Your Heart? So I ask you to keep that in mind as we look at James chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 17, that what is in your heart? Now what James is doing here in chapter 4 is a warning to uh, the Christians for fleshly living that, uh, that we ought to live according to the word of the Lord, according to uh, the Holy Spirit, that we are not to live according to the desires of the heart. Jeremiah 179 says, the heart is desperately wicked if you know it. And so it's a call for spiritual living, uh, and that spiritual living is evidenced by each spirit, and life of living. You would remember that James is writing the book of James as an appeal to people for practical Christianity. Uh, How to live. Sorry. How to live how to live practically the Word of God in life. And so that's what James is talking about here. Um, And James is continuing uh, to give us examples of how to live out practical Christianity and what it looks like. And so our life that's lived should be marked by adopting Jesus Christ as Jesus as lawgiver, as just judge, and as rescuer. And so in this passage, James gives us another example of how how our actions and how our speech display what's in our hearts. And so uh, in this passage, James uh, tells us Hey, that the inner dwellings of the heart manifest themselves in the way we talk to each other, the way we deal with each other, and also what we do in life. So if you'll turn to James chapter 4, we'll go ahead and read text, uh, verses 13 uh, through 17. It says this now. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are, ju- you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We're going to come before you, God. We thank you for this beautiful day that you give us word, to worship you, to look at you the word, Father, to feel what you have to teach you us, Father. I pray this morning, Father, that uh, you remove me from me, Father, that you, your Holy Spirit would speak through me to your people, Father, your people will be ready to receive your word, Father, that your people would apply your word, Father, and that I would hold myself before you, Father, and I would apply your word, Father, and that we would live rightly before you, Father, by the, the commandment. Uh, that you've given us, Father, to love you with all our heart, mind, and soul, and second of like to love our neighbors and ourselves. Father, I pray that we would bring ourselves before your throne, Father. We humble ourselves, Father. We not seek our own will, Father, but seek your will. So, Father, right now, as we open up the Word, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us, would lead us, would empower us to be able to apply the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Word, Father. That let us enjoy your Word, Father, in this time of uh, uh, of eating. It's time of nourishment for our soul, Father, and that, Father, you will be glorified. Father, I pray that if there's someone here that does not know you, Father, that these words would convict our hearts, Father, that you would bring them to yourself, Father, that you would draw them unto yourself, Father, and that today they would find salvation in you. Father, I pray, Father, that, that you can give us a clear mind, a steady heart. And that you would give us the willingness and the ability to receive it is, what it is that you haven't received a point. Father, I glorify your name. I praise you. I thank you, Father, for your trust in your name. We give you things. Amen. Alright, so in the text, we look, we're looking at um, James, is talking about a practical, uh, practical Christianity. And he says right here in chapter 4, come now, you say, today or tomorrow. We will go into such and such a city and we will spend a year there engaged in the business to make a profit. Well, I'd like to point you to the, to the first point, the ignorance of independence. Humans are not independent. Well, to say that back, Christians ought not to be independent. We are not autonomous beings. In some sense we are, but in the practical sense and the, the cryptological sense we are not. We are servants of the Most High God. We don't get to do what we want to do. We do what the Lord will. We do what the Lord has commanded. We do what God leads us to do, what Jesus empowers us to do by the working of the Holy Spirit and by uh, His holy word. So we ought not to be independent. But look here at the ignorance of those who think they are independent. This is the ignorance of independence of posture of the heart, if you will. verse 13 through 14. He says this, come now. This connotes the idea to pay attention to. Draw near. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow. Who are these people? The you. Well, they're Christians. And so what he's doing here is he's, he's telling them, Hey, come close. Listen to this. You who say, you who have said, you who are saying today or tomorrow we will go into such and such city. Look here, the American church going Christian oftentimes American Christians, us, me, myself, I found myself in this place where I say, well, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to do what makes Michael happy. Uh, I'm going to do what's best for Michael, and that's not always what God is calling us that, That's not what God is calling us to do. What God is calling us to do is have a heart posture before Him that says, it um, says, I am submitted to whatever the Lord will. So, not what Michael wants, but what the Lord would have in you. Um, and Luke 6. Verse 45, we see, in Luke 6.45, we see that out of the the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth, for his mouth speaks from what fills it, fills his heart. So what we're seeing here is the outpointing of your mouth is a, an indication of what's in your heart. And so, um, the scriptures say in, in James chapter 13, uh, we will go to such as a city and spend a year there and engage in a profit, or engage in business and make a profit. We will go. So what is the issue here? The issue here is that they said we will go, and there's an issue of control. How many times have we found ourselves, uh, this is my life, and I want to control of it. And I want to do what I want to do. I want to do this, or I want to do that. I want to have control. And uh, oftentimes we find ourselves, when well, we want control of, it is of our life, we don't want to relinquish that control to the Lord. So we won't, we won't do what the Lord is leading us to do, uh, because we would rather do what we want to do. That's the issue of control, and the Christians living in the flesh desires to control it. He or she does not have authority over. And so James is making an appeal to Christians that are fleshly living, living by the flesh, not by the Spirit, um, because they want to have control of their life. He said, you know, look, you say, there tomorrow we we'll go to such a city, and we will sit year there, and they have a, they're going to do this. They have a definite time they're going to do it for, and. The whole purpose of them doing it is to make a profit. Galatians 2.20, Paul says uh, that he is uh, it is not him that lives, but Christ that lives through him. And so that's the mindset, the heart set, the heart posture that we ought to take uh, in this life, in Christian living, is that it is not I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. In this life I now live in the flesh, I no longer live according to my own control, but I live for a Jesus who self himself for me, right? Um, so take take note here that our life is not our own, and we are not to have a heart um, independent attitude of where we we struggle to your control. And so the Holy Spirit's guidance through prayer and fasting must be consulted when seeking the endeavors of life. What do I mean by that? Well. You know, if we are submissive to the word of the Lord, we're submissive to the Holy Spirit, what do we do? What are we doing? We are saying, Lord, uh, I would like to do these things, but ultimately, whatever you have me do, that's what I will do. So if I'm going to take this job, for example, or I'm going to take this career change, or I'm going to, instead of chasing uh, what we need to bottom line process, if you will, we submit ourselves to God's direction. And we bring ourselves to submission to his will, saying, If the Lord gives me this opportunity, then I will do this. Uh, if the Lord closes that door, then I won't count. I'll be happy because the Lord will open another door somewhere else. But here, their heart attitude, uh, the James is writing here, is that um, they they were seeking to have control of their life so that they could go and make a profit. So that the idea here is that the, the issue of money was greater the glorification of God. The issue of money here was greater than the glorification of the Father. In Matthew 6, 24 34, we see that Jesus is telling us that you cannot have two masters. Matthew 6, 24 34. You can't have two masters. Or we all love one and hate the other. And the practice there, uh, if you seek you're just seeking for your own benefit, for your own, building your own treasure trove, if you will, that practice is evil. That heart aspect is that of pride and not dependence upon the Lord. You know, words, the Lord said he was the every teacher. Well, he said it. It's a promise. Hang on to it for sure. But if we have a prideful heart, uh, as James had, had already, uh, the last week, had, James had already told us, that God is opposed to the proud that gives grace to the moment. Right? We have a powerful heart that uh that a of heart attitude. The assumption here is that uh in verse uh, verse 13 here is that they would go and engage in a business, make a profit that they are relying upon themselves. You see that there? The assumption is self-reliant to cause gain. we're so gonna go to a different city. They're going to send there, they're going to make a profit, they're going to make money, they're going to be great. They're going to have the ability to buy things, they're going to have a nice house. I'm not seeing these people all have a nice house the stay, but the heart set of these people was misaligned. A true game is found when God brings the increase. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, and uh, he's rebuking them, and he says, you know, that Hey, I, I planted a polished water, but it was God who caused the increase. Uh, in Matthew six, verses nineteen through twenty-one, we see that true gain is when our treasures are we build up treasures in heaven. That rock, that that rock, that rust and moth can't destroy. That if our house burns to the ground, that. All the things that are materialistic in it go away. Now, we say, you know, hey look, you guys ever do like house fire training stuff like that? So like, hey, you know, if you have a fire, don't, don't run into the house, let the, the firefighter take care of it, right? Because your stuff can be replaced, but uh, well, you can't be. You know, so like, I have a list of things in my head, you know, okay, so if the house gets on fire, I'm going to grab this, I'm going to grab this, I'm going to grab this, I'm going to grab this. Um, so I have these things that these are like replace replaceable items, so I'm going to go out in the front yard with my, all my stuff, right? You might not have time. Unfortunately, uh, you might not have time to grab those things. Well, what is that saying? It's saying that, oh, I love those to things. But, you go back into the house to get those things, and the house, unfortunately, is unstable because it's on fire, um, and it collapses and the tears in fire, right? It doesn't, that doesn't make good sense. Why would somebody go into a burning house to get materialistic things? We could buy more of those things, you know? Yeah, it's not the same. It might be, you know, it's not exactly the same as the, the other things, but it's just a materialistic thing, right? But the scriptures here um, are telling us, hey, don't take our, don't take materialistic things as gain, for they're nothing. Because when you're dead, you, they don't go with you. you can just put them in your casket, but on the resurrection day, they're not coming out of the casket with you. Right? So the, the idea here is that the true gain is found when we build our treasures in heaven where rust and loss cannot destroy them. So money should not be the motivating factor uh, for sort the, the, the heart attitude. Uh, money should not be the motivating factor for what we do in life. Rather, the glorification of God and submission to his word, submission to his Holy Spirit as he leads us to live for him and to live in submission to him and to live in a way that glorifies him, that ought to be the heart set of his uh, of people. That ought to be my heart set. That ought to be your heart set. Your heart attitude and your heart posture before the Lord as you seek to do it is what it is that you do. If you look here at verse 14 with me, it says this. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then embedded in the way. Look at the ignorance of independence, right? You see the term ignorance. It's ignorant to think that I am independent uh, of, of any agency or any um, uh, anyone or independent of the Lord. I don't have control over all the things, right? I don't have control over all, Most things I don't have control over. I didn't have control over the weather, uh, but I'm thankful that we're here and gathered this morning. I didn't have control over... Uh, whether or not I get a job or not, I don't have control of that. Why? because the employer controls whether they want me or not, right? I don't have control over whether I, I get cancer, I don't have control of anything. I go to the doctor and find out, hey, uh, you have this sickness. Oh great, I didn't know I had this sickness, don't mind, because you told me I had a sickness, right? You don't have control over that. The idea that we be independent, autonomous beings is silly. We live in submission the Lord who has control over all things. But look, we're people. We have limited understanding. Scripture tells us you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. We don't. We don't. You know, tomorrow may have a lot of issues. And I can't see tomorrow. You know that uh, when I was in a, when I was in junior high, uh, there was a guy in my school. He was uh, in seventh grade, I believe. He's a football team player. Uh, he was an awesome guy. He uh, I was not close friends with him, but I knew of him. Um, and, and, and he was a seventh grade young, healthy boy, right? He got physical every year, he played football. Uh, and he, uh, from what I heard from his classmates, he stood up in class and said, man, Todd And in the middle of class, strangling, uh, it was in the morning time, um, I remember. Uh, because the anglers came, and I was looking outside the window, and like, hey, why are the anglers here? He stood up and he said uh, something to the effect that it's hot in here, and he fell down on the, on the floor and collapsed, and he had a picture. And he started bleeding from his eyes, and from his nose, and from his ears, and wow uh, from what I, was, from what I had heard. And unfortunately, this, the young man, he went to the hospital. Um, they, they sent him to another hospital. He did not make it Passed away again. For like three days, I don't why, or four days, or two days—I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Uh, but, but when I mean, he was a young man, he passed away, and uh, it was very sad. Um, but we went to the funeral. Um, it beautiful funeral at the church um, in the celebration of life. And, and, and so who would have thought that a young man, that young, would pass away? He woke up that morning. I'm sure he didn't think that, you know, this is the day I'm going to the Lord. So we don't know what our life will be like tomorrow. We're not in control uh, of those things. And so you ask yourself, well, what am I really living for? You know, today will my soul be required of me? So here's the deal. The only only moment that you have is the moment right now. And you have to have that mindset. The only moment that you have is the moment that you have right now. So in this moment, ask yourself, am I glorifying the Lord? Is my motives glorify the Lord? Is my thoughts glorify the Lord? you see the whole And so in that idea, we don't know what tomorrow will be like. In that idea, how can we, uh, how can we think about what we ought to So am going to start with you in Proverbs 3. Uh, Proverbs 3, chapter 3. So you're probably going to know this uh, very well. Verse 5. I'm going to read verse 5 to 7. And this is what the scripture is saying. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. With all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do the Lord to turn away from evil. So here, here is how you ought to think about your plan. First of all, you see a promise in the text. Trust the Lord to sustain you. Trust the Lord with all your heart. That's the mission of the Lord. God, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I know that I can trust you in tomorrow. I know that I can trust you in right now. I know I can trust you today. And look, godly wisdom is different than human philosophy or logic. Because godly wisdom is pure it's from above, but human philosophy and logic is worldly and can be evil. But I understand the promise here, that you trust in the Lord with all your heart, you don't lean on your own understanding. You don't lean on your own human philosophy, your own human logic, but you trust in the Lord. When you submit yourself to the Lord, what is the promise that God will direct you? And you'll lead you. And so, if tomorrow your life is required of you, but today you trust in the Lord, and you lean not on your understanding, and the Lord directed you, tomorrow... He directed you home, praise God, and you have lived well. Here in James, here in James chapter four, James is reminding them, rebuking them, calling them out to have a heart attitude that is dependent upon the Lord, not to be ignorant, not to be ignorant, because they themselves are not independent. Life is short. Life is fragile who has double car accidents knows that. You have a small car accident, someone passed away. It's unfortunate. But you're like, look at the car, but how did somebody die in a car accident? The car's not even built that bad. But then you have some car accidents, but you can't even tell it was a car, and they walk away with It's a minor distraction. Life is fragile. We ought to approach life with uh, a sense of awe and wonderment, because it is fragile. Think that they control that, but it is the word ultimately who who says when life begins the when life begins. And so we to. Ought- and the wrath of the church. For if today was the day appointed unto me to die, be Lord, am I ready to stand before him? Have I lived well? And what will I have to present to the Lord? We have to prepare ourselves for eternity. We've seen the ignorance of independence of the heart. A heart that is independent of the Lord is an ignorant heart. It is a heart that is uh, filled with deceit from pride. So, he says, but instead, you ought to say, verse 15, well, instead, how, are we ought to, how, how can we ought to live? Well, we ought to identify the right motives, the right heart attitude, and the right posture. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live, and we'll do this or that. Understand, hey, this is the identification of the infirmity of the heart. Got to identify what we ought to do. So we see that our heart is uh, is bad. We see that hey, there might have been arrogance in our heart uh, right here, as as our our actions have proclaimed that there's a problem here with our heart uh, that we wanted to live in control. We wanted to live independent, but but we ought not to do that. Yet we ought to uh, submit ourselves to the Lord. Uh, we ought to live in a way that if the Lord will, could be the model of our, the posture of our heart. Why, we have to be, why should we do that? Well, one, we check our motives. Two, we check our mind attitudes. Three, we check our posture for the Lord. Why do I say we check our posture? Well, look at this. If the Lord will, what does that connote? Uh, what does that uh, give you the idea of? Well, it gives you the idea of dependency upon the Lord, submission to the Lord's desires before your own willingness to acknowledge the Lord's work in your life and to respond, well, here is. Here I am, Lord, to send me. Type attitude. Okay? It reveals a posture really, it reveals a posture of worship. That my life is nothing but, well, my life, is, it ought to be marked by the worship of the Lord who gave himself for me, who, who called me in himself. That that reveals a heart attitude, a heart posture of worship. Jesus might call you to be in a different place. He might call you to be in a different status or circumstance for his glory and for your good than what you ought, what you had achieved for your own self. And here, that is the dichotomy that's presented here. In verses 13, in verses 13 and 14, these people have this idea of what they want to do, what they ought to do, what their life is going to be like. Hey, going to go over here, I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to go to Atlanta, I'm going to make me a business there, I'm going to grow this business, it be very big, I'll have a profit for a year, I'll go home and I'll be able to chill, keep my feet up, uh, watch some football, maybe, uh, maybe watch some baseball. But here it says, instead they ought to be like, well, whatever the Lord will is, that's what I will do. If the Lord calls me to not go there and not do that, go over here and do this instead, well, that's what I'll do. And the idea is that we would present ourselves before the Lord in a reverent way, with a heart of worship, saying, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Regardless of what status that they put us at, what circumstance that they put us in, we live with surrender to the Lord. He says here in verse 15, uh, this is the same. see here in verse 14, that we will live and we will also do this or that. So this is what we shall do. We shall live and do, right? We have to live and do. And so what James is not saying here is he's not saying, oh, you don't need to do anything. He's saying, you know, what you ought to do is check your heart behind what you're doing. And so, as you're doing it, if you're doing it in dependency upon the Lord, uh, you live life in a submissive manner towards worship Jesus Christ. Okay, well, hey, where's our examples for living in submissiveness to God? Well, check it out. And, uh, in Matthew 26, uh, verses through 39 Jesus said, not my will, be done, but the Father's will So Jesus is a good example of how we ought to live in dependency upon the Lord. If He was uh, submissive to the Father and not His own will, He was submissive to the Father's will, so we ought to be submissive to the Lord's will. John 6, verses 30-40. What do we see here for the Father's will for Jesus? In John chapter 6, verses 38-40. through Here's what the text says. He's I come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is the will of him sent me, that of all that he's given me, that I lose nothing to raise it up on the last day. For so this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. It was God who sent Jesus to the earth as a ransom for the people who he would call himself. That was God's will for Jesus. John chapter 15, what is Jesus' will for you? John chapter 15, is a metaphor of the bondage, you will. Well, here's what we can take note from this: that a life that is lived dependent upon the Lord, and submissive to the Lord's desires, will do this. John chapter 15. It will abide in Christ. Moment by moment, you will abide in Christ. Moment by moment I will abide in Christ. It will bear much fruit. We will keep his commandments. And then we keep the commandments and that's not to us, right? That Jesus' joy would be in us and our joy will be full. All this is from John chapter 15 I would encourage you to go back and study that in your own time. But this is what it says. A life that is dependent upon the Lord and submissive in submissiveness to the Lord will, will have be marked by these strengths. That Jesus' joy in us and our joy will be made full. That we would love one another and that we bear witness of Jesus to the world. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what we put off and what we put on. Titus and Timothy talk about the manner of a godly man and how it should live. Probably 31 talks about the manner of a godly woman and how that life looks. And so in James chapter 3, or sorry, chapter 4, verse 15, this is what he's saying. Instead of doing what, what you were doing, you ought to do this. This is the manner in which you ought to live. So verse 16. Look at verse 16 with me. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and also boasting in evil. You boast in your arrogance. These fleshly minded Christians are called out for their impurities. When you live with the mindset of I, me, me, um, and I control it, you are boasting in your arrogance. This is a prideful heart before the Lord, and these fleshly minded Christians are called out for their purity, This is the evil. So what we ought to do is be watchful of the manner in which we present ourselves, the manner in which we take Things that we take pride in. How we speak to God and how we speak about God. And, and we ought to be watchful of the manner in which we examine ourselves, examine our motives. It's important that we examine our motives. Alright, so check it out. Purity of speech and action requires freedom of heart. A pure heart is grown in submission of Jesus and tender to the Holy Spirit and immersed in the Holy Word of God. We see that in Luke chapter 9, verses 23-35, and verse in 1 Corinthians. Chapter one, verses twenty-six to thirty-one. That a pure heart is growing in tradition to Jesus, that tender and it to the Holy Spirit, in its leadership, and it the Holy Word of God. And then to boast in your arrogance is posture of evil. And evil is synonymous with demonic, with the demonic. And it points back to that of worldly wisdom, as we discussed earlier uh, in, the, in, in the earlier chapters of James. So we identify the condition of the heart. This is the way we ought to live. And so what do we do? We have to implement this information, right? We've got to put it into action. So we examine ourselves. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we go to such a City and spend a year there engaging a profit, make a profit. Um, yet you do not know what your life will be. Yeah, we don't. We don't know what our life will be. If you're just a laborer that appears for a little while and then it's the But instead of being viable and having this hard attitude that is independent from the Lord, you ought to be dependent on the Lord, you ought to submit yourself to the Lord, Say that if the Lord will, you will live, and we will also do this best. that. But as it is, boasting your arrogance and often boast in of your people, evil. Therefore, therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do does not do it; to him it is sin. We we have to implement the information here. God has shown us through His Word that a heart posture. That says, "I'm going to do this or that without consulting the Lord, without without going to the Lord and bringing him to God's to the Lord," is a heart of pride and evil will Him. So, in verse 17, it says, "Therefore, a summation of all that was previously spoken is about to proceed." Therefore, based on everything that He's already said, all that everything He's already described, the one who knows the right thing to do, the one who knows, once the scriptures have been preached, read, or proclaimed. You're no longer ignorant. You cannot claim ignorance, and a Christian can never claim ignorance. God has given His holy word to us, and He will hold us accountable to His word. So we have no ability to say, "Oh, I didn't know." Um, we have no ability to do that. We ought to know the right thing to do. It's a mandate in the scriptures. If you're ignorant of how to live, you're not growing in Christ. If you refuse to do what the scriptures display, you are in open opposition to God, and you're open rebellion to God, and that is sin. It's evil and it's demonic and it's not of God. You cannot call yourself a good Christian and, and and fail to study the Word of God and fail to apply the Word of God and fail to implement the Word of God in your life. That is not godly. And so it says this, and and uh, therefore the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Does not do it. The application of the knowledge of the Scriptures it reveals obedience. It reveals your obedience to the Lord. And a lack of obedience is rebellion. And rebellion is sin. And if you do not apply the word, if you do not apply what God reveals to you, you stand in expectation of God's discipline and God's judgment. The book of Hebrews says that God disciplines those who He love. Right? If you're not a child who's experienced the discipline of God, you might not, you probably are not a child of God, and you've never experienced the discipline of the Lord. And so, if you... If you don't, if, if James is writing scriptures here, he says, the one who knows right to and do it, does not do it, and him it is sin. If we are continually living in sin, there's a problem with our heart. We have to get it right. The expectation is that Christianity is not a speculative sport, but a full contact sport, right? All the members of the assembly must do what the scriptures reveal. We must act. We must apply it. We must change. We must make preparation to do so. And then we must act upon it. It's not a suggestion, but this is an imperative. We don't place earth, we don't think until we make it. That doesn't work with God. The Lord looks at the heart, He sees the heart, He knows the heart, He knows the motive. You can't do that. Sanctification is this, that we would see the Word of God, we would hear the Word of God, we'd be led by the Spirit of God, and we would apply the Word of God. That is sanctification. We apply the scriptures to teach. When we get it right, always know. That's why John says, if we sin, we have an advocate of the Father. If faithful are just, forgive us our sin. If we confess. But this is talking about a mentality, a heart-set attitude that is continually, perpetually um, doing what they want to do, living in sin. The one who knows what the right thing to do and does not do it, it is sin. It's a clarification that open ability to God and His Word, open rebellion to Christ, is sin. And He's calling out those who hear the message and fail to do it. If you remember in James chapter one, right? If you look in the mirror, but so then you forget out what, what it goes away. Don't deceive yourself. You look in the Word of God, we see what things need to take in our life, and then we must apply that to our life. We must change that. So where do we find ourselves? So this is the question. So where do we find ourselves? Do we find ourselves right here in text as these people come down and say, "We'll go to this city and that city, and we'll engage in a profit." Um, we find ourselves—do we find ourselves independent from from the Lord? Do we find ourselves independent from uh, being submissive to the Lord, or do we find ourselves in the same type of mentality? God does not give us provision. Does not give provision for his people to be here at His word, nor does He give provision for people to disregard His word. Where do we find ourselves? Are we daily, moment by moment, are we applying the word of the Lord to our lives? Are we living in submission to Him, or are we saying, "Yeah, tomorrow I'll get good? Uh, or are we saying, "Nope, I'm going to do what I want to do today. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm to, to do"? Because if we do that, we find ourselves in open rebellion, school. We find ourselves in sin. The Lord will not bless it. The scripture says, do not be deceived, for that was a man. Uh, those who will also reach It's important for us to look at our hearts, to examine our hearts before the Lord. If we find ourselves where we have been in the entrapment of um, an independent heart, or a heart that says, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Because American culture says, you know, you do you, boo-boo. Um, Whatever you do is good for you. But that's not what Christians, that's not that's not the what the scripture Christians ought to live. We ought to live in a manner that is submissive to the, the Lord. We ask ourselves what's in our heart. So I would invite you this morning to, to examine your heart. Examine your actions. What what is revealed here? For him to know the right thing to do and, and, and not to do it, it is him. So are you living fleshly minded autonomous? And if so, God is calling you to repent. Are you living in open rebellion and you just realize it? If so, God is calling you to repent. If you were thinking, man, I wish you don't could have heard this message. You probably need to repent. Apart from Christ, there is no obedience because there is no faith. And our faith is, what is the first thing that's at work because without faith, you can't believe that the Word of God is true. We can't, we can't believe it with a salvific belief. However, if we have faith, that faith is of nothing if there is no action to come in front, Because that faith is not real. It, 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 it's just a word. It has no action. But if there is action there, if, if there is faith there, there is action there, you can rest assured that, that faith is active and work they're take it out. Apart from Jesus, there's no obedience because there's no the The penalty is worth fair. However, if you trust Jesus, you have hope. Jesus will fix your heart issues. He will give you grace. Jesus will establish you it in Himself. So, well, apart from Jesus, there's no message to life. Apart from Christ. And so, I had to know this. I spoke this morning, the scriptures of rich, to those who are in Christ. Examine yourself. But for those who are not in Christ, you are in open rebellion to God. Because everything you do is not the faith, everything you do is sin. You cannot please God outside of uh, being in Jesus Christ. And so, if you don't, if you don't know Jesus, you can know Him. Check it out. There's a heart issue that originated uh, in Adam that was sin, and actually, it was a failure. God kept Jesus, who was holy. He kept the law uphold the law and became a curse for our sin. He died in our place, enduring the full wrath of God on our behalf. He raised on the third day and glorified above all things created and not created. He is the tentacle uh, of glorification and indies, the manifestation of God himself. And he interceded for his people, He's coming again, gathering his bride. He judged all that lived and established the people in pure form. The kingdom that was intended from the very beginning. So, look, I ask you to check your heart. If your heart isn't willing to trust Jesus now, you're not willing to trust Jesus in a eternal way. If you trust Jesus now in the daily, day-to-day activity, your heart is probably a heart that has met Jesus in a salvation way. The heart is probably a heart that is willing to trust Jesus through eternity. But if it is not, if, if you have a trust issue you right now in, in the temple this life that is passing away. If you have a trust in you with Jesus right now, you probably have a trust in you, are probably going to have a trust issue you when he walks you walk into eternity. probably going to have a trust in you that will not lead to uh, will not lead to a uh, a life that is marked by his physical actions. Because you not trust him, the minor thing, you him with the brand. So here's the thing.
1: I'd ask you today, stand me your
0: heart. Are you willing to trust the Lord? Are you willing to live from Him? Are you willing to follow Him? Are you willing to uh, commit to Him and uh, and put Him in His rightful place? Put us in our rightful place? Lord, I'm here. I'm here. I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to follow you. Here I am, Lord. So that's just a prayer presentation. The names come forward. And we're closing out. I'd ask you. To ask yourself these things. Where did you find yourself today? I've on multiple times found myself right there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Just hoping the Lord will not find himself. Just hoping the Lord uh, as, as, as second, as second off. When and option. The Christian ought to live that way. We we'll ought to submit ourselves to the Lord first. Lord, what is it you have me do? Present opportunities for me. Show me which one you have me take. Open the scriptures. This is the man I would live life in. What the scripture say? Alright, there's nothing in opposition here. This is the open door of opportunity. Lord, will you bless it? Yes? Walk through it. He'll provide for you. So be prepared for the time. Think about this thing. Where do you find yourself you in? Do you have a heart issue? Um, do you identify yourself with a information? Uh, are you comfortable?